0: All right. Good morning. morning. How are y'all? You present with us? We good? Nope. Okay. Here we go. Uh, It is good to be here with you all this morning. Uh, My name is Tori. I'm one of the pastors here at The Well. Uh, So if you are new, um, it is very, very good to have you here with us. And uh, I'm excited to jump into our relationship series. I think that there's a lot of kind of fruit within this. And so let's go ahead and dive right in. Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn them to Ephesians chapter 5. That's where we're going to start off today. Today's topic is on that of marriage, okay? I want to say right up front, if you are single or just dating, don't think that this topic does not apply to you. Uh, It is very, very applicable, as I hope that you will see as we navigate through this text. Uh, But Ephesians 5, uh, there should be a Bible under every second and third chair somewhere around you, so feel free to grab one of those if you don't have one. Uh, If you physically don't own a Bible, then please take and keep that. That's our gift to you. We want you to have the Word to be able to read it, and so please uh, take those home. Uh, You can also follow along on your smartphone. If you have the U version, or some people call it the Bible app, underneath the tab section, uh, click on Events, type in the Well Austin, and we have all the Scripture laid out, uh, places where you can Take notes, things like that. Uh, If you don't have that app or you cannot find it, you can take this link, put it right into your browser, and you'll be able to follow along that way. Uh, The link is also in your bulletin um, because we are going to dive right in. Okay, so here we go. Um, A little bit different today. So, usually, uh, if you're used to coming to the well, what we'll do is we'll take a a chapter of Scripture or a text of Scripture and we'll kind of walk through almost verse by verse, right? So, we'll read a verse or two and then we'll stop and and exegete that and then read a couple more. I'm going to read this passage as a whole today because I think that uh, to be able to work around the whole idea of what Paul is talking about will be helpful in our time today. And so we're going to kind of marathon through a large uh, text of Scripture, and then we're going to kind of uh, extrapolate that, all right? You ready? Three people. Here we go. All right. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. All right, this is that uh, make people people leave your church scripture, and we're diving right into it. All right, Um, so there's some 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 words in there that may feel a little bit uncomfortable to us, and and we'll dive in. Okay, let me start with this though. If your idea of marriage is, what can this person give to me? All right? If that's your idea of marriage, what can this person give to me? Then this whole section is going to make 0% sense to you. I just want to start off in saying that. And this is the idea that I think most of us have when we uh, approach or come to marriage. If you're single, you're most likely trying to think or find a person who can fulfill you, who can satisfy you, who can bring you comfort, who can be emotional support, who can give you something right? If you're dating, that's probably what you're looking for in your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Hey, does this person give me something? Does this person satisfy me? Does, does he or she uh, fulfill me in some sort of way? If you're married, then you know better to think like that right? But it still doesn't stop you from thinking like that, right? Like you still think like that and and you try to seek it in that way. And so notice that in this text of scripture, both the husband and the wife are given a command that the other person is supposed to serve the other person. And there's no thought of reciprocity. Do you know what I mean by that? So like it says, wives, serve your husbands, submit to your husbands, honor them. And then it doesn't say, and if you do that, then you will be happy right? It doesn't give any of that to the wife. It says, husbands, die for your wives, sacrifice for them, love them. And it doesn't say, if you do that, then you will be satisfied, then you will be pleased. The whole idea of this thought here that Paul is laying out is that you should serve the other person without really expecting anything in return, because marriage is not about you. It's about the other person. And so if it's about you, if that's your idea of marriage, which I think 98% of us in this room would say, that's my idea of marriage, then this text really doesn't make a whole lot of sense in our minds, because this text is very counter what we tend to think of, okay? And so um, verse 22, right, it says, uh, wives, explicit S word, your husband right? That's a, right. There's a vulgar, I know it's a cuss word in our culture, okay? Uh, Matter of fact, last time we did a sermon on marriage, uh, I read this text and then immediately three girls got up and walked out the room. All right. That's actually a bad word. They stormed out the room. And then when they were at the door, they like cussed at me with their eyes. Okay. Because I know like this is a hard, hard. And so if this is something that's like, what in the world is going on? Here's what I'm going to ask you. Okay. I said the same thing last time. Stay with us. All right. Because scripture is going to lay out something that I think is very, very beautiful. It's just kind of hard to see. And so, But the whole idea of this with men and with women is that we should be serving without expecting from the other persons. Husbands, love your wives, die for your wives, and it doesn't. Not promise you any return, it does not promise you something. The Bible isn't you centered, the Bible is other centered, and this is important for us to think about when we come to marriage. See, scripture sees marriage not as a means by which you are filled, but as a means by which you can help fill others. Okay, I say it again scripture does not see marriage as a means by which you can be filled but as a means by which you can help fill and satisfy others. You're tracking with that? Marriage is not self-serving. It's not about what you can get. Marriage is self-giving. It's about what you can give to somebody else. It's about honoring somebody else as, as lovely, as, as beautiful, as honorable, as respected. So because of this, most of what we read about uh, in a marriage in Scripture sort of grates against our flesh in a very uncomfortable way because it calls us to do things that we're uncomfortable with. In fact, Scripture often calls us to die for the sake of our spouse with no promise of return, to submit to the sake of our spouse with no promise of return. And so now all the single people are like, man, praise the Lord, I'm not married, (laughs) right? Because the Bible recognizes that marriage is in and of itself a selfless act. It recognizes that this is actually an opportunity, not for you to be fulfilled, but for you to die. And that's actually the call of the gospel too. It's not about getting what you want, but it's about giving to somebody else, blessing them, cherishing them, pleasing them, exalting them, loving them, honoring them, thinking of another person more and better than you even think of yourself. This is the heart of marriage, which by the way, is the heart of the gospel too. If you know the gospel, if you're you're used to seeing that, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. That's why marriage represents the gospel so well, okay? But we'll get on that more in a second. But if your idea of marriage is a selfish mindset, then you're going to be disappointed even in this sermon today because I don't think that scripture lays that out. But I also think you're just going to be disappointed in life because you're going to expect them to satisfy you and give you something that they could never, ever give you. And I think that's the reason why we see so much turmoil in marriage today, okay? Now, you may say, in this awesome introduction, that's a great introduction, right? Everybody excited now? woohoo!" right? You may say, well, then why, why in the world would I ever get married? Why would I ever get married? And that's a very fair question, okay? Tim Keller says this, you only discover happiness after each of you has put the happiness of your spouse ahead of your own in a sustained way in response to what Jesus has done for you. Some will ask, if I put the happiness of my spouse ahead of my own needs, then what do I get out of it? The answer is happiness. This is what you get. But a happiness through serving others, check, rather than using them. That's a great word. Even think about the call of the gospel. Okay, go back to uh, the gospel of Mark chapter eight. So in Mark chapter eight, um, Jesus is talking to his disciples and in verse 35 Uh, Actually, let's start here in verse 34. He says this, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now look, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. If you try to hold on to your happiness, if you try to hold on to your life, to your vitality, then you will only lose it in the end. If that's what you think about the gospel, if I want to get, I want to receive, and I'm going to hold on to my life, then scripture says that you will actually lose your life in the end. However, if you give your life away for the Lord's and for the sake of the gospel, then you will gain your happiness. You will gain your vitality. And ironically, that very life that you gave up, you'll gain back, but so much more full. If you save your life, you'll lose it. If you lose your life, you'll save it. That's the heart of the gospel, right? And the same is true in marriage, the exact same thing is true as marriage. If you are only self-serving, then you are going to lose your marriage. Now, maybe not divorce, but you're not going to have a, a, a vital, a thriving, an awesome marriage the way that Scripture wants you to have an awesome marriage. You'll just have a sustaining one only, like a lot of people in their relationship with the Lord. It's sustaining only because they don't know how to surrender their life, how to lose their life for the sake of the gospel. And so the same is true in marriage. If we lay down our life for the other though, you'll see your marriage explode with this beautiful intimacy and this joy. Each of you trying to out-honor the other person is really what begins to happen. The, the laying down of your life, by the way, is not easy. Okay, are y'all checking with that? Like, the, like this is not an easy thing. It's not like, oh yeah, I just lay down my life for the other person, that's it no big deal, right? Like, that's not how it works. This is hard, but what will happen is the gospel will shine through this hard uh, season. There's this hardness, and it will make it beautiful. It'll make it good. And so, let me say one more thing, too, before we dive into the the roles in marriage. Uh, You can't just go into marriage expecting to receive. Like, I'm going to give so that I will receive. That's still selfish, Right? Like, I I think that goes without saying, but I think that kind of, we play this reverse psychology on ourselves sometimes, you know, like we're going to trick ourselves and trick God therefore somehow. But like, we have to actually want the other person's glory. We have to actually give to them. And so it's just like the gospel. We don't chase Jesus because of what he can give us. We chase Jesus because of who he is. The beautiful thing though, is that when we find Jesus, we realize all of the beauty of coming into the gospel, all of these things that he can give us. But that's not why we chase him. If that were, then we were not making him God. We were making what he can give us God. And the same is true in marriage. You can't just be trying to receive from your spouse. You're not loving them. You're not honoring them. You're making the gift that they can give you, the honorable thing. But you have to actually want to highlight, to to make much of your spouse in some way. You have to want to see your spouse reach their fullness in Christ, is what it is. And through this is where you'll find great happiness. Okay, so wives, wives, In light of all of this, all right, Paul starts with you first in Ephesians 5. In light of all of this, what is it that you can give to your husband? If marriage is truly about giving to the other person, about honoring the other person, about highlighting the other person, about ridding yourself completely of who you are, then what does Scripture say is one of the main things that you can give to your husband? And it's this word, submission, the vulgar S word, all right? All right. Um, I think that this is a, a way that you can esteem him as worthy, as valuable, as honorable, okay? Submission in our culture, unfortunately, has been hijacked to mean something very different than what it actually means. So, whatever in your mind the idea of submission is, is probably the wrong idea, unless you have really been studying scripture, you've been in church for a while, maybe you have a better idea. Even still, I think it gets muddied sometimes, because oftentimes, historically, boys in men's bodies... You know what I mean by that? Have taken this word and hijacked it and used it in ways that are inappropriate. And they're still little boys acting boyish, but they just look like men. They have beards and they shave, right? And that's not, so like they try to hijack this word. And so I understand that. Because of that, I understand that there's a lot of a, a negative overtones in this idea, okay? Let's tackle it though. Let's try to tackle what Scripture says and extrapolate the beauty from it, all right? Beth Moore, who is a prominent women's minister, and in my opinion, she's just a genius, uh, she says this. The Greek word for submit is hupostasso. Hupo means under, and tasso means to place in order. The compound word tasso means to place under or in an orderly fashion. Paul didn't dislike women. He liked order. He advocated order in the church, order in the government, order in the business, and yes, order in the home. Paul regarded husbands and wives as spiritual equals, but with functional difference, okay? Now, let me tell you what submission is not, all right? Submission is not obedience, and that's the word we usually equate or some version thereof, okay? Notice the text does not say, wives, obey your husbands every wish and command, right? Like that's not what, the Bible doesn't lay out women as a lesser in any way or as inferior in any way. And so to submit does not mean, hey, become a doormat. That's not what scripture is laying out. Matter of fact, if you look at the person and work of Jesus Christ when he was on earth, you see how much he honored and loved and respected and highlighted and made much of women in a culture that would not do that. He made himself look bad so that women would look good, right? That should have deserved at least one amen from a woman, all right? come on now, all right? But so uh, submission is not obedience, okay? And, and submission is not, a, 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 you know, this is what you're supposed to do. Now you need to listen to me. Obey me. That's not what scripture is saying. Or else scripture would not call the wives to be obedient in all things. Do you see that there again? Look at verse 22. Look at verse 24. It says, submit as unto the Lord. What are we not supposed to submit to the Lord? Thank you, exactly. Nothing, <laughs> right? We're supposed to submit everything as unto the Lord. Just in case we try to find some loophole around that, Paul comes back two verses later and says, submit in everything. Just in case you're confused about this, like this is an everything thing. God would really be setting women up for failure if that word meant obey or if that word meant lay down up under, become a doormat. And listen to me, God is not a wicked dad. God loves you, ladies. If you do not believe that, please go read the Gospels. Please go read the Scriptures. See how much he honors you. Yes, the world has made you lesser. That's because the world does not believe in this Gospel. And even as Christians, sometimes we have a hard time submitting to this. But God sees you as equal, as beautiful, as good. God is not a wicked dad so as to set you up for failure. And so this is not a set-you-up-for-failure verse, okay? So, for example, you don't obey your husband if he calls you to go into sin, right? Like if I go tell Natalie, uh, go in the backyard and, and sacrifice a goat and this is how you'll receive forgiveness for your sins. She shouldn't obey me, right? I also have no idea why that was the analogy that came into my head. Okay, that's a terrible, right? Now listen, Natalie can still be submissive to me even when I say that and at the exact same time say, you're out of your mind, buddy right? Now, how? How is that? Because we see later on at the end of that passage, right, at the very end uh, of Ephesians 5 verse 33, it says, uh, Paul tells wives to respect their husbands. This is what men are seeking is respect, right? You ever been in a party or at a place where there are a lot of guys around and all the guys kind of get off and they do this little circle thing and they're like, man, I scored 63 points in a game once in high school. Another guy's like, well, I scored seven touchdowns. Another guy's like, and what are they doing? They're seeking respect from each other, right? Hey, do you respect me for my athletic prowess, right? Hey, do you respect me for my, my business accomplishments, for my money, whatever it is? Like, men are seeking, they're fishing for respect a lot of times. And submissive, having a, a submissive heart and a submissive spirit is a way to respect them, is to make them feel valuable, is to make them feel worthy, is to make them feel honored. It's a gift that you can give, ladies where you are actually beginning to give the man exactly what he desires, he needs, is this respect. The key to what man is looking for is honor, and wives can use this tool of submission to help accomplish this. This is a beautiful thing. The irony is, is that uh, if you obey your husband, sometimes that's actually when you become the least submissive. Y'all tracking with that? Does that make sense? It's very easy to obey your husband and to not at all be submissive. So what I'm saying is these two words don't marry together. It's not like we're saying submission and obeying is the same thing. There are times where you can obey your husband and have a very, 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 very bad, unsubmissive spirit, and that's actually, uh, you're laying down under him in obedience, but you're not honoring him with your submission. This is surefire. This is like a double-edged sword. This is the worst of uh, of both cases, right? But you can disagree, and you can still be submissive. You can still be honoring. You can still try to esteem him as, as valuable and worthy, okay? Here, let me do this. Let me give you a recent example, all right? Um, Up until about a few months ago, uh, we had a very, very insane grocery budget, all right? And by insane, I mean I took the whole I'm a broke pastor thing to an unnecessary extent, and I strained my wife with our finances, okay? And so uh, my wife does the grocery shopping in our house, and uh, up until about a year ago, I gave her what I thought was a very uh, generous budget. All right? I thought it was very loving, very kind, very generous. I'm like, hey, this is what we need to spend. You know, I kind of handle the finances, but she's the one that does the shopping. All right? So I said, hey, here's what we're going to do financially. Now, when I was a single guy, cereal, PB&J, and mac and cheese was a very well-balanced diet. Right? Like, Why can't we live off of that? And so, so my mindset of grocery budget is not the same thing. Okay? So don't laugh at me, all right? but up until a few months ago, our grocery budget was $180 all right, uh, a month. Not a week, okay? Some of you are like, that's pretty good. No, a month, all right? And then Natalie would go over every month. I'd be like, babe, stop going over, <laughs> you know? Now, what Natalie should have said is, you're a flaming moron, we cannot live off of this, <laughs> right? That would have been an okay response. And she did say this, just in a much more submissive way, and she didn't use the word moron, all right? So she just said in a very humble, in a, in a submissive way, hey, look, listen, how about we do this? How about you go grocery shopping with me, she would say. I'd go, I don't want to do that. I don't have time to do that, <laughs> right? No, no, come with me. Here, how about you do this? How about you go online? Here, look, I found a website for you to show how much it costs to feed a family of three. And I'd be like, I don't want to see that. And I'd like go kind of secretly look, you know, and it'd be like, five hundred bucks. And I'd be like, We're only three hundred dollars off of that, come on now, right? And whatever it may be. Now, this is a serious but a silly example, right? But there's a way that Natalie can not obey me to say, I can't do that. Listen, that's not you're not leading well, but she can still be submissive to me and still honor me in that, right? That's what I'm saying. Now, what about a more serious example? What if I'm actually leading Natalie into sin? See, because there I was just kind of misleading her. But what if I'm actually leading her into sin? Is she to submit to me then? Yes. Yes. Is that shocking to you? Because you think the word submission means obedience. And it's not obedience. And that's what we're trying to get out of it here right? Submission is an honoring. Now, she's not going to submit in a way that's harmful to her, but she's going to submit in a way that's sanctifying to us. Did you catch that? She doesn't submit in a way that's harmful to her. She submits in a way that's sanctifying to us. She helps me to fall out of my sin and to become more like Christ. And so there's a way that she does not obey me. She says, I'm not going to do that because that is sin, but she can still submit to me and honor me within that and say, you need to lead better. You need to lead more effectively. Let me give you an honest example, okay? Uh, back when we had Micaiah, uh, uh, my, my lifestyle didn't really change much, okay? So I was used to working, you know, 60 plus hours a week because we didn't have kids. So I could just work and work and we still got a lot of time together and I felt like I was honoring her. When we had Micaiah, that did not change at all. My lifestyle did not change. And I kept saying, well, we need to do this. We need to do this. Listen, I'm leading my family into sin at that point, okay? Now, how does Natalie then submit to that? She doesn't come in and say, you're a freaking idiot. Stop doing this, right? She comes in and she says, hey, listen, we need you here. Like, Micaiah needs her dad around. The church does not need you as much as our family needs you. You need to spend time with us. You need to be here with us. And she was humble and and submissive about it, but still leading me out of sin into holiness in our relationship. Are y'all tracking with that? And so submission is not this idea of obedience, okay? And that's what we tend to think it is. Submission is this idea where you are going to find the husband, ladies, and you're going to try to push him into the leader that he is meant to be in Christ. You are trying to push him into Jesus's image. You are trying to highlight him, to elevate him, to be exactly what God has called him to be for your family, in this world, for your community, for your church, whatever it may be. Submission is you humbly getting up under him and pressing up into him to help him to reach his full potential in Christ. So submission does not mean become a doorstep. That's not what that means. In fact, a lot of ways, the most submissive people are actually the best leaders and the least likely to be a floor mat. It's the people who don't understand submission that tends to get walked all over because what happens is they don't submit and they start trying to force their husband to do things and there's this war that starts happening and the husband wars and the wife wars or the husband just becomes passive and lazy and doesn't do anything. But submission is a tool to help that not happen. It's a tool that you wield, ladies, of allowing the man to lead, encouraging him, helping him in his leadership. Now, is this hard? You're dang right it's hard. It's hard. That's why this text is in here and it grates against our flesh in a lot of ways because this is hard, right? In fact, even right now, you should be kind of saying in your flesh, I'm not really sure if I like this or if I, because in a lot of ways, it kills you. That's the gospel. As you become less and less, and let other people around you become more and more, and elevate Christ more and more, you consider others more significant than yourselves, you look not to your own interests but to the interests of others. This is all throughout the scriptures, right? Where we try to honor and highlight the other person. But when this happens, is it beautiful? You're dang right it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. When you see marriages that operate like this, you're gonna see something that's revolutionary. The wife doesn't feel lesser. She feels greater than before. The husband doesn't feel like a loser or passive. He, he, he charges ahead. He leads well. There's beauty in marriages that are done right, okay? So listen, Submission is one of the keys. It's one of the tools that you, that you ladies have to show off the beauty of the gospel to your husbands. Okay, track with me here, don't lose me. Jesus is in submission to the Father and that's a beautiful thing. Nobody says, I don't really like that. I don't really like that. Jesus is in submission to the Father. All the scripture makes that very, very plain. Jesus says that about himself. And the Holy Spirit is in submission to Christ and to the Father as well. And so there is submission within the Trinity where the other person of the Trinity is trying to highlight the value, the worthiness, the honor of the other person of the Trinity. So Christ is always trying to highlight and to point to and to exalt and say, look at the Father, look at how awesome he is, look at how great he is, and on and on and on and on and on. The Holy Spirit is always always trying to highlight Christ so much so that we forget the Holy Spirit is even a person of the Trinity. (laughs) Even though he's the one that wrote the scriptures through man, we even forget about him because of how much he tries to point to Christ. And Christ points to the Father. There's submission within the Trinity. And as you submit to your husbands, ladies, you're showing them a picture of God. You're showing them a piece of the gospel. This is what God looks like. This is what, this is what God is like. You're allowing your husband to see God. Are you tracking with me there? You're allowing your husband to see the beauty of the Father. This is why in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Ladies, wives, submit to your husbands. And if they're unbelieving, so it's calling you to submit to somebody who doesn't even know Jesus. If they're unbelieving, your submissiveness may win them over, is what the text says. Why? Because you're showing them what God is like. And that is a beautiful thing. They begin to look and they go, man, this is really beautiful. I do not deserve this submission. I do not deserve this. But yet she's giving it to me anyway. And they start seeing a picture of God and lost men get saved when they see the submission of their spouses. That's what scripture says, okay? So ladies, you have a chance to look like Jesus in marriage. And this is a wonderful thing. Now, ladies, okay, you're smart right? We're not saying give yourself away to some coward of a man. That's why you should date well. That's why you shouldn't date a loser guy, okay? Sorry. If you're a loser guy, stop. Love Jesus, okay? And then find yourself a good lady. I mean that, right? Submission, okay, is at the same time, though, the tool that you can use to take a loser guy and to make him like Jesus, that's exactly what submission does, is it helps us become more like Christ. Look, in a lot of ways, I'm a loser guy to my wife. But in her submissiveness, in her honoring me, she's, all, she's forcing me to become more and more and more like Jesus. And this is a beautiful thing, and it's beautiful for our marriage. And this is going to make a whole lot more sense when you hear the guys' version of this. All right? Guys, you ready? Here we go. Gird up your loins, all right? Um, men, listen to me very, very clearly, Okay? Scripture gives you a hard task, straight up. Scripture gives you a hard task. Ladies, if you think submission is hard, look at what it calls for the guys to do, all right? Scripture calls you men, look at Ephesians 5, you can glance through that text again, to die for your bride, to sacrifice for your bride, to give everything that you have for your bride, That's what scripture calls over and over. Die like Christ died for the church, which let me mind you, Jesus did not just die and just die on a cross. He actually took on the wrath of God for his bride. So he says, die like that. Do what it takes to protect, to love, to give yourself to your spouse. If you go into marriage thinking it's about getting something, then this text makes it plainfully obvious that it's not that you were supposed to die, you're supposed to give something. That's what marriage is. It's about your wives. So husbands, die, sacrifice, lay down your life. Spiritually wash her with the word scripture says. What does that mean? It means don't be passive. Be active in y'all's spiritual journey together. Do something. Make sure she's loving Jesus more. She's knowing Jesus more. Do what it takes to try to help her to understand this beauty of the gospel. Die for her. Even to the extent of giving up your whole life, love your wives. Give everything that you have to her. See, ladies, it would be really easy to be submissive to a guy that acts like that, right? So a guy that gives himself completely and fully, you, you would want to honor him. You'd go, I, I have nothing. Why, why do you keep honoring me? I want to honor you, right? And so Paul is laying out an ideal. And this is hard because we are not ideal people. We are sinful people, but we try to operate in the ideal. We try to walk into holiness with God, right? So look, man, you get nothing. You need to give everything, for your woman or for your future woman, okay? If, if you aren't married, if you're single and you want to be married, then learn how to be completely selfless because that's what marriage is about, is you being completely selfless for another person. It means sacrifice for your wives, okay? Like even think about that word sacrifice, right? What does the word sacrifice mean? Like use that word in a sentence. I sacrificed a lamb, all right? I don't know, goats, lambs, I don't know what's up with me today, all right? Does that mean I gave a little bit of the lamb No, (laughs) right? Apparently, you guys don't know what sacrifice is, right? Did I give a little bit of the lamb? No, the lamb is dead, (laughs) okay? I gave all of the lamb. I sacrificed it. I gave all of it. So when Paul says, sacrifice yourself, he's saying, give all of yourself. Die, do what it takes. Give all of yourself to your spouse, okay? Look, the ladies are all nodding their heads. I saw (laughs) y'all, all right? A minute ago, it was like kind of uncomfortable. Now you're like, listen, babe, listen, right? Beth Moore said that God desires order, okay? And this is true. So husbands, you're supposed to be the leader of your household, Scripture says. The the head of your wife is what we read there, right? But what does biblical leadership actually look like, okay? So go to Mark chapter 10. So Mark chapter 10, verse 42 through 45. And Jesus called them, to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Okay, let me stop. You know those who are not believers, that's what Jesus is saying, they view leadership as having authority, as being in power and charge. They, they rule, they demand, they do things. But it shall not be so amongst you. But whoever should be great amongst you must be your servant, and whoever will be first among you must be slave of all. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So when we hear the word leader in our, in our culture, we often think of the CEO, someone we give preference to, someone that should uh, uh, be paid more, someone that should get the nice little cute parking spot that says reserved for this person, right? But scripture says the leader is the one who parks as far away as possible for the sake of other people. The leader is the one that takes less that others may have more. The leader is the one that lays down his life. That's what biblical leadership looks like. So when the Bible is calling you men to be leaders, it's not saying take charge like a Gentile and run forward. It's saying lay down your life. Sacrifice, die, lead, which means lay down your life. Do what it takes that your wife may feel honored and worthy and lovely and valuable. The best leader is by nature the best servant. How are you serving your family? Because if you're just taking charge like a Gentile, that's not biblical leadership. And it makes it really hard to submit under a tyrant in that way. So husbands, your call is to die for your bride. Amen? I tricked you into saying amen, all right? You didn't want to say it, but look, there you go. You're bound to it now, okay? This is hard, right? (laughs) But just like ladies with submission is hard, this is a gift that you can give to your spouse. And uh, 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 as the wife, she can give you honor and respect, something that your heart is looking for, right? But you can give her as the husband sacrifice and you can make her feel special and loved and valuable. Like you would do everything for her. Now, let me pause and say this real quick, okay? Because I know what men do. Here's what men do. We always make things way more epic than they ought to be, right? (laughs) Right? So, like when you hear the word die for your spouse, some of you are like, oh, it's hard. But some of you are like, yeah, I'm going to die for my bride. And you think about saving the damsel in distress, right? Like the house is on fire and you come in and you throw her out the window and you die. That's what we tend to think of, all right? But really, what happens is really more like a million slow deaths, all right? That you don't really get a whole lot of value or credit for, but you're called to die anyway, okay? Let me give you an example from this week. So, I'm sitting down, I'm writing this sermon. I get a call, and Natalie says, hey, there are hundreds of bugs in our house, hundreds of them, and they're like little like flying ant looking type of things, and I've been cleaning for the past hour and a half, and they're still, they're coming in through Micaiah's window, I don't know what to do, I'm overwhelmed, so I was like, oh my gosh, what the world, the heck is going on? So I said, well, here, do this. Uh, take some tape and, and put it over the part where they're flying in Makai's window. That will be a quick remedy. And then maybe go online and try to look up, like, what are these things, you know? What, what are these bugs and stuff? And she was like, okay. So we hung up, went back, started working on the sermon, and then 10 minutes later, she calls back and says, hey, I, I'm, just, I'm really overwhelmed. Can, can you come home and, and can you help me? Can you come home and help me? Now, literally, no joke, okay? I wrote down that last sentence the second before she called, I wrote down that death is not epic, death is like dying a million slow deaths and doing things you don't wanna do. And then she called and she said, hey, can you come home and help me? Right? Now how many of you think that I thought, yes, an opportunity to show Natalie how valuable she is, how much I love her? How many you think I thought that, all right? All right, one, two people? Okay, you think very too highly of me, friend, all right? I was cussing in my head, all right? Uh, not at you, babe, just at the situation, all right? And at you a little, okay? Let's be honest, right? I'm a sinner. I need Jesus, okay? But like, it's hard, right? That's what dying tends to look like, is going into those moments and dust and vacuuming up a bug-infested floor, not wanting to do that at all, and knowing that y'all don't honor me for that. Y'all aren't like, wow, he's such a good leader. What a godly man. You're really probably thinking, why didn't you help the first time she called, bro? <laughs> right? Like, like, that's not someone we're like, ooh, awesome, look at this death. That's a little, little tiny way that we can die, right? But that's what Scripture calls us to do as men. It's to lay down your life, lay down your rights, lay down everything that you have that your wife may feel value. But listen, I know that at that moment, Natalie felt loved. She knew I was busy, right? Like, we had talked about that the night before. The night before is our date night, we were talking about that, right? She wasn't trying to be an inconvenience to, to throw a wrench in my day. She didn't make the plague come into our house, right? The Lord did. So I can use this as a sermon example, all right? That's what happened, right? Because there were literally thousands of them, like, like black cloud looking, okay? Right? But through this, all right, I can love her. And in case you're wondering what's going on, we think there are termites and they're not in our house anymore, okay? So just in case you were wondering, wow, is their house that dirty? It's all right, all right? So uh, uh, dying looks like vacuuming the floor at that moment, right? Men, die for your brides. This is what your command is. This is the gift that you can give your spouse, is your very life. Ladies, don't you want a man like that? who's going to die for you, who's going to lay down for you, and going to do whatever the heck it takes to make you feel loved and valued and special and whole and awesome, that he would give up himself to make you feel like that. And that's what true marriage looks like. And this is hard because we're sinful and we hurt each other and we can't see the final picture in each other. Tony Evans said this, marriage is an ongoing, vivid illustration of what it costs to love an imperfect person unconditionally, the same way Christ has loved us. And see, friends, single people, I haven't forgotten about you, by the way. Uh, This is the heart of marriage. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's about the other person. It's about esteeming someone else as valuable. Tim Keller says this in The Meaning of Marriage. There's an illusion that if we find our one true soulmate, everything wrong with us will be healed. But that makes the lover into God, and no human being can live up to that. See, if you place the burden of Savior on your spouse, if you place the burden of Messiah on your spouse, or if you make getting a spouse your Messiah, if you're single and you're like, I need a spouse, I need a spouse. If that is your Savior, then this will all crumble, friends, because nobody's shoulders are strong enough to carry that weight. Nobody's shoulders. Nobody who's living today. But there was a man who lived 2,000 years ago who can carry that weight. And that's the beauty of marriage, is that it's actually a picture of the gospel. Why is it that your heart longs for the ideal? Listen to me, tune in, we're almost done, okay? Why is it that your heart longs for the ideal? Why is that? Why is it that your heart always looks for the idea in your spouse or or, or your your future spouse? If you're single, why do you feel like you need this so much? If you're married, why do you always get so disappointed when your spouse fails you? Even more disappointed than you get with other people. Why is it that your heart has this, this angst inside of you? It's because of what marriage represents, friends. It's the gospel. That's what Ephesians 5 says. Paul says, marriage represents Christ and the church. This mystery is profound. We had Andrew read Genesis 2 today. The very first thing, that God said to man and woman is that the two shall become one flesh. And Paul says what God was talking about there was not just that union, but it was the union of Christ and the church. Marriage is a foreshadow of the greater thing that we have in Jesus. This is beautiful. It shows what our hearts were made for, which is marriage, but it's marriage with our ultimate husband, Jesus. That's what our hearts were made for. That's why you long for it so much. That's why you want to see it so desperately in your spouse. Because your heart was made for something greater than your spouse. Or something greater than your potential spouse. It was made for Jesus. Your true and ultimate spouse. For the king of the world. For your true husband. Revelation 19, 20, and 21. They're all about us as a church being married to Jesus one day. And we don't have time to read it, but I would encourage you to go look at that. It calls us the bride of Christ over and over and over again, to be wed to him one day. Marriage is nothing more than a foreshadow of something greater to come. Marriage stimulates your heart's longing for the ideal. Marriage uh, uh, stirs up your imagination about the future. Your heart starts thirsting after the true thing, which is Jesus. Because see, listen, ladies, Jesus submitted himself to us, did he not? Jesus submitted himself to our sin. The sinless man became sin that we might find fullness in God. He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life fully. Jesus Christ submitted to us in some way that we would feel valued, that we would feel respected, that we would feel loved, though we had nothing to offer. You think your husband has nothing to offer? We had nothing to offer before the gospel. And men, Christ obviously sacrificed for his wife in a way. He he, he went down for us as the church and died on the cross, taking on the wrath of God, giving up his whole life that we may find freedom in him. Christ is the fulfillment of the ultimate marriage. This is why Paul can demand these things out of us because we see it being demanded in the life of Christ. This is why, by the way, single people, you can apply this too. If you are a Christian, if you are in Jesus, then you have the ultimate marriage already. You don't need a spouse to satisfy you you. You have your true satisfaction. That's Jesus. We have it. He's given everything to us, and yet he got nothing in return. Isn't that so ironic? Isn't that what we just said marriage is about? Giving everything to the spouse, expecting nothing in return. Look, Jesus gave everything and got nothing in return, yet he gave it all anyway. Not because he was expecting something from you, because he loved you, because he wanted you in a relationship with him, now in this are we commanded to follow and submit our lives to Christ? Yeah, you're definitely right. But it's out of a love, a understanding of how much God loves us. Friends, our marriage should look like Christ. This is why the more you understand the gospel, the more beautiful your marriage will be. When your spouse wrongs you, you won't be seeking for retribution because you'll realize that you wrong God and He didn't seek retribution for you. He passed it off on you onto someone else that that you may be forgiven. So when you go and say, "Hey, look, I'm a sinner. I'm really sorry. I need your forgiveness," you're practicing the gospel in your marriage. And when 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 the person that is offended is able to say, you know what, I forgive you because of how Christ forgave me, there begins to be beauty. See, if you begin to understand and apply the gospel into your marriage, then your marriage will flourish and it will grow and grow and grow. This is what true marriage looks like. This is what God has painted for us. This is why the gospel doesn't just save us from our sins, though, amen, it does, but it sanctifies us in all areas in our life, like in our marriage because our marriage is nothing more than a representation of God's great love for us. Friends, give yourself to your spouse. If you're single, man, look for somebody who does that. If you have that desire to be married, also realize, though, that you already have that if you're in Christ. And let this be the joy of your heart. I love you guys. Let's pray. God, I thank you that marriage helps us to come alive and to find our ultimate in you. Jesus, we want to be more like you. We want to see you more. God, would you help us, each one of us in here, to become a better spouse, not for the sake of just being a better person or a good person, but because this is something that honors you, it glorifies you. God, would you help us to see you that we may become that? God, I long for the day when we are finally married to you. But until that day comes, Jesus, let us be beautiful representations of this on earth. Praise in your beautiful name, Christ. Amen.